0: Problems with microphones but hopefully we'll get over it. Um, well as we turn to God's Word now let me invite you to have Revelation chapter 21 there in front of you. Last week I started my sermon with a story from Billy Graham. Let me conclude this second Sunday of National Morning with a quote from Billy Graham. I'm sure many of you remember that the day that Billy Graham died It was a big moment, at least in the Christian world, and one of the ways that people, Christian people, throughout the world paid tribute to him was to retweet, repost a quote on their social media. And the quote went viral. At one point, it was shared every 15 seconds. This is what it said. "Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. It's a stunning remark that captures the heart of the man's life and message. His focus was always on the gospel and his focus was always on eternity. And tonight, that's what I want us to do. I want us to think about the gospel, and I want us to think about eternity. I want us to think about the future, our end. I want us to know the end to which we're headed. Tonight, we're going to eavesdrop on eternity. Revelation, the final book of the Bible. Written, uh, or a vision given to the Apostle John when he was exiled on the island of Patmos this vision was given to him so that he might have courage and hope as he lived out his final days. The reason the book's called Revelation is because it does just that. It reveals, it unveils the unseen spiritual realms. It unveils for us the battle between Jesus and Satan in the heavenly realms. and It unveils for us what will happen at the end. if you've ever read through the book of Revelation you'll know that it's so easy to get sidetracked with the obscurity of the details and the imagery but if you boil it all down, the central message of the book is clear absolutely clear, absolutely practical, absolutely essential for Christians in every generation the point of the book is to tell us this in the end, Jesus is victorious At the end of the world, every enemy of God will be defeated. Every human kingdom will fall. Every knee will bow. Satan will be cast down into hell. The greatest enemy, death, will be vanquished forever for God's people. And God's people will dwell with him forever in the renewed heavens and earth. Two points for us tonight. I want us to think about Christ who will make... The new heavens and earth. And then I want us to think about Christ the groom who will marry his bride. Look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Note those opening words, a new heaven and a new earth. Do you hear the echo back to the beginning of the Bible? The passage we read from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now here at the end of the Bible, God will make a new heaven and a new earth. It's fascinating. Chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis are about the first creation, the original creation. Chapters 21, chapter 2 of Revelation, at the end of the Bible are about the new creation. The Bible is literally bookended with statements on creation. Jesus clearly wanted John to give this some thought. Let's just think about, just, just for a moment, the ways that they're similar. So what we know from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, that the creation there that is spoken of is a real, physical, tangible place at the end of the bible in revelation so too is the new creation it is a real physical tangible place so some people when they think of the new creation some some people when they think of the destination we're all headed they think of this ethereal place where we'll exist as disembodied people where we'll float about on clouds and sing songs of praise That's the caricature of heaven, but it's so far removed from the Bible. The new creation will be filled with real people, with real resurrected bodies, living in a real, tangible new world. Randy Alcorn in his book called Heaven said this, the idea of the new earth as a physical place isn't an invention of of a short-sighted imagination. Rather, it's the invention of a transcendent God He made fit human beings to live in a physical earth and he chose to become a man himself on that same earth. He did this that he might redeem mankind and the earth. Close quote. Brothers and sisters, do you know that your eternal destination is the new heavens and the new earth? A place just like this world that we live in, but in other ways, so, so different. See, when John uses the word new there, there's two words he could have used. There's one word that means new in Greek, and it means brand spanking new. And then there's another word new that means renewed. It's the latter that John uses. Our future home will be this world renewed. That is radically transformed, radically renewed. Some sincere Christians have difficulty when they hear a preacher say that heaven is this earth renewed. They think, it's an awful idea. Is is it even biblical? Well, I would suggest that we all need to wrestle with the Bible and what it says. I would suggest that we all need to take seriously where we're headed. So let's do that. Let's think about it. Theologically, what do we know about creation? Well, we know in the beginning, a good, the good God gave us this good world. This very good world. Because our good God had a good and glorious purpose for man to dwell with him in paradise. Isn't it fascinating that at the very beginning of the Bible, you have those two realities, the physical and the spiritual in perfect harmony. Adam and Eve, in the cool of the day, in this beautiful, tangible garden, walking with God. It was very good. We need to understand that the physical realm has purpose in God's good plans. And, and, and theologically, that is made so clear to us in the incarnation. That God would become man and dwell here in on earth. And, even in his resurrection, choose to retain his humanity. Now, I stress this because it's so easy to forget this. But this truth has so many implications for how we live our lives in the here and now. You know, if you, if, you, if you don't understand that the, the physical and the spiritual are at the very heart of God's good purposes, you'll have a strange existence here on earth. You'll have a reductionist understanding of life. So, so some Christians who think that, that, that they think life is all about just getting to heaven, this world is just to be something that we suffer and tolerate, and then we're going to get to, to heaven. And they have this reductionist idea that, all that really matters in this life right now is the spiritual, not the physical. They'll live with this constant hypocrisy where the, the, they won't understand why is it that as an image bearer of God, I so love and enjoy this world. The mountains, the valleys, the birds, the skies, the, the clear, the glory of God. Why is it that I love music, culture, art? Why, why is it that I, I love meeting up with my friends and, and, and laughing and talking and sharing because a good God with good purposes meant you to live as a physical and spiritual being to his glory. This truth means that our lives, the totality of them, they matter. And we know the fall meant this very good world is now marred with a curse, with sin, with thorn and thistle. Work is no longer pleasing. We work with the sweat of the brow. But listen, in God's good redemptive purposes, for His people, He wants us in the here and now to live out all that he originally intended. Now, 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 if you're sitting here and you're you're someone who who struggles when you hear about this talk of the new creation, you might say to yourself, you know, the reason I disagree with that is because of what it says in chapter 3. That's often the passage everyone goes to. You know, you talk about this good world, but doesn't Second Peter chapter three say that this world's going to be burned up, annihilated, destroyed. Well, let's read Second Peter chapter three, verse seven. This is what it says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day will bring about the destructions of the the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Literally, Peter's using the word renewed heaven, renewed earth. The home of righteousness. This world will undergo a burning. But this world will not be annihilated. This world will be laid bare, it will be exposed, all the sin, all the curse will be burnt away, removed by God. And what will be left in its place will be a glorious, beautiful, spotless, spectacular, renewed world, an inconceivable world for us right now one without thorn or thistle, one without this care disorder, one that will not require toil or weariness, one with no sickness and pain, a world set free from the curse. Herman Bavink, arguably one of, greatest, one of the greatest Reformed theologians of the last century, wrote this. According to the scripture, the present world will be cleansed of sin, recreated, reborn, renewed, made whole. For the rebirth of human beings is completed in the glorious rebirth of all creation. This is, this is Paul biblical theology. Remember Romans chapter 8? For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God's redemptive purposes is to restore and renew the old creation to what it was always intended to be. The place where he dwells with us. Look back at verse 1 of Revelation. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And, and the second part of that verse, okay, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Doesn't that say, doesn't that say that the, the, this world will be gone? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is a new creation, is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Well, well it's me. The old is gone. I've been made new in Christ. Clearly it does not mean the old is totally destroyed no it means the old is renewed the world we live in right now the world under a curse according to the bible will be made new the curse that struck the world when adam and eve fell in the garden of eden will be banished now let's be honest one of the reasons this is so difficult for us to get our minds around is we only know life in this world with under the curse We only know life in this world where there is alienation, slavery, warfare, abuse, violence, pain, sickness, chaos, turmoil. We can't begin to imagine what this world would be like without all those things. We can't begin to imagine what this world would be like renewed. But John desperately wants us to see the extent to which our world will be different from the cursed world. Notice what he says at the end of verse 1. And the sea will be no more. Now, if you're someone who loves the beach and you love the sea, you're thinking, rubbish, there will be no sea. The new creation, that's not what that means. See, in John's uh, symbolism, John's imagery, the sea is all that is against God. It's an image that speaks of chaos, hostility, rebellion. In Revelation chapter 13, where does the beast, where does Satan himself come from? Out of the sea. So what's John saying in verse 1? In the new creation, there will be no more chaos. There will be no more evil. There will be no more curse. Now, again, I appreciate, right, this is really hard for us to get our minds around, but God and his wisdom in the Bible... (laughs) He really wants us to appreciate this. And I know that, that, that some of us, we, 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 just the prospect of it be this world renewed. Some of us, there's something inside of us that says, I, but, but I don't really want that. Because look, I, I know life in this world. I can't forget the pain, the suffering. Well, listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. It's a prophecy of the new creation. Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. Same words. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live his years. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. In Isaiah's pictorial language here, we can't begin to imagine what is in store for us in the new creation, the beauty and the majesty, the peace and the harmony. The picture here is of a world like nothing we've ever known. And imagine living in a world where the former things will not be remembered where evil will not haunt you. You'll never get that sense of being in a place and remembering bad memories. A smell triggering bad thoughts. So that's our first point. You want to know the end? This world made new. The new heavens and the new earth. But the next thing that we read here in Revelation is that you know what's coming? A wedding. In the new creation, Christ the groom will marry his bride, the church. Read verses 2 and 3 with me. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out, of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their god just one thing just in passing notice when it says and I and I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God heaven will come down and come to this earth the lord's prayer will be answered your kingdom come, your will be done, as on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven will be a place on earth. But, but, but the point tonight I draw from these verses is now about the wedding. And if you if you stand back from this passage, you'll notice there's an awful lot that echoes back to the beginning of the Bible. There's an awful lot that echoes back to Eden. This verse says, "He saw the holy city, of the new Jerusalem." coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully adorned beautifully dressed for her husband why then is that Eden? you might not see it at first we have a bride and a groom remember Eden? the first marriage literally a marriage made in heaven Adam God presented to him His bride, Eve. And you know, we read in Genesis that when Adam met Eve, he sang the very first ever love song. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What was so amazing is that here in Revelation, we see another bride and groom. Who's the bride? Who's the groom? The bride. In John's language is here described as the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now, now, if you know the Bible, you know Jerusalem and its key role. It's, it's at the center of God's people, Israel. It's God's dwelling place. It's where the temple is. It's the holy city. It's the heavenly city. It's the city of Zion. But if you know the Bible, you know that Jerusalem never lived up to what it was intended to be. Now Jerusalem, in the Bible, is anything but a holy city. This was a city that was so unholy that God filed for divorce from his people. It was a city that was constantly under the judgment of God. In the days of Jeremiah, we read women and children lay dead in the street. In Jerusalem, it was a ruin and it became a haunt for jackals. In the New Testament, Jesus, he cries and laments over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you're a city that kills the prophets. I've longed to gather you like children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not. But notice here, Jerusalem's called holy, and new. In other words, the reverse of the curse. In other words, the sins of God's people have been forgiven, their iniquities have been pardoned, the curse has been reversed. Get this, New Jerusalem represents a transformed people, the church. And here at the end of Scripture, it's a wedding scene. The people of God are prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And what a remarkable scene it is. Because the groom has paid the dowry in his blood. Everything's ready. And Some of you are married here, and no doubt you can remember back to your wedding day, the, the the excitement, the anticipation. Husbands, do you remember when you saw your beautiful bride? You know, um, one of the things you, you, you see when you read Scripture is that when we think of God, from the very beginning, he's in the business of dressing his people. Genesis they sin they hide they know shame they're naked and they know it what does God do? he takes animals and he sacrifices them and they try to cover themselves with leaves but God clothes them And you come here to the end of the Bible. And you know, husbands, what's different about you and I when we, when we saw our brides is we didn't dress them. We probably didn't even pay for the dress. Not so with Jesus. No, 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 his bride comes dressed in the garment he, he wove with his obedience. the righteous role. It's interesting. When you you read Ephesians chapter 5, that speaks about Christ the groom. It says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the last day is that the, the church, the, the, the people of God, the, the, the bride of Christ come to him. He will see them clothed as he's dressed them. Martin Luther, try and make the point that Christ provides for us what we could never provide for ourselves. Spoke about the great exchange at the cross. You know, at the cross, Christ took upon himself all that was ours. And he gave us all that was his. So at the cross, this exchange takes place. And, and what happens is Jesus gets our garments of sin. He gets our garments of shame. He gets our garments of filth. He gets our garments of guilt. He gets our garments of nakedness. He wears them on the cross. He dies the death we should have died. He dies in our place. For what purpose? So that you and I get his garment. His robe of righteousness. His pristine, perfect robe. His robe of royal sonship. He makes us beautiful at his own cost. And by the way, husbands, there is an application here for us. As we wait for eternity, as we prepare for eternity... We are to wash our brides in the word of God so that we might present them to Christ. You know, you know what's going to be wild about the wedding in heaven? We'll look at each other and we won't believe what we see in each other. We'll see the beauty of holiness. we will see heavenly beauty on earthly creatures our sins will have been forgiven our iniquities will have been pardoned the stain the blemish the film the filth all gone every people of every tribe tongue and nation of every background of every color now just look at how this wedding ends verses 3 and 4 Then a loud voice from the throne spoke saying, Now the dwelling, or literally the tabernacle of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his God and God himself will be with them and be their God. I don't know about you, but as we survey the new heavens and the new earth, there's something familiar again about this place. It's deja vu all over again. God dwelling with His people. This is familiar. Yeah, Eden. God dwelt with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Now we read that what was... Ruined by sin is restored. We will dwell in the presence of God. We will live before the face of God. We will commune with him. We will have no union with him. There will be be nothing that will hinder our fellowship. Nothing to interrupt it. Nothing to distract us. We will give him pure and perfect praise. Praise. Now, I really need to land the plane, and the plane lands here with this. When we get to heaven, it's not about the place, nor will it be about us, the people. It's about the one person who's at the heart of it. The Lord Jesus Christ. The center of the new creation is Him. You know what will make the new creation heaven? You know what will make it glorious? Him. His voice. His glory, his splendor, his beauty. His touch when he wipes her tear-stained eyes. His presence. I quoted from Thomas Boston this morning. Let me quote from Thomas Boston this evening. Scottish minister who lived 300 years ago. This is what he described when he thought ahead to the appearance of Christ and the new creation. Understand this, the risen Lord Jesus Christ bodily in his incarnation glorified will be the focus of worship. We will see Jesus Christ with our bodily eyes because he'll never lay aside his human nature. We will behold that glorious blessed body personally united to the divine nature and exalted above principalities and powers in every name that is named. We shall see with our eyes the very body born of Mary at Bethlehem and crucified at Jerusalem between the two thieves. We will see the blessed head that was crowned with thorns, the face that was spat upon, the hands and feet that were nailed to the cross. We will see them all shining with inconceivable glory. Who can conceive the happiness of the saints in the presence chamber of the great king where he sits in his chair of state making his glory eminently to appear to man. We will see him. Here's 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 the incredible thing. We'll never be bored in the new creation. You know true lovers are never bored of one another. Just go on discovering more and more about one another, enjoying one another's pleasure, enjoying one another's company, enjoying one another's presence. In the new creation, we'll never be able to get enough of Christ. He's mesmerizing to the depths of his being. And those depths, we'll never exhaust. Beholding Christ will not be a mere passing interest, and it will never become monotonous over time. It will mean exploring new beauties, unfolding new mysteries, experiencing delight beyond comprehension and forever. And the thrill of him will grow and deepen and grow and deepen. We'll be at home. The one who died for us. The one who dressed us. The one who will take us. is bright. Brothers and sisters, someday you will hear that Andy Longway is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. That hope, that future, know it. It'll change how you live. Let's pray. Our glorious God, thank you for unveiling for us something of our future. Thank you for showing us something of what we have never been able to conceive or imagine, but showing us in the words of scripture something of what will be thank you that god all that will be in the future will all be cause of you salvation from first to last is of you and thank you that in your perfect time all things will be made beautiful god as we as we live in light of our future home and our future hope we pray that we would live as those who truly enjoy living life in this world as your image bearers filled with your spirit help us to live rich meaningful lives seek the good of our neighbor that they might come to be drawn by your irresistible grace and that they might come to behold and see you use us as you see fit Help us as we seek to live for you. Thank you so much for promising all of us this when we know we don't deserve it. We pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.